Hey, let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll, we'll dig in. God, um, boy, every single week, every single time we, we come before you, I, I have this, this moment when I think we just have to surrender to you, to open our hearts and our lives, our brains. We have to be courageous. We have to invite you to mess with us again so that we walk out having um, not just received the awesomeness of, of being in your presence and realizing we're in your presence and realizing your love, but that we, we walk out um, having given you the opportunity to, to, to touch us and change us. And that doesn't always feel good even. So, so we ask you, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that can be soft and gentle, available to you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so I finished this message, you know, in the last 48 hours or so, and uh, I got to the end of it, and I realized that I'm going to need to warn you about what's going to happen at the end, at the very beginning of the message. Okay, so here's the warning. When we get to the end of this message, I am going to ask you, invite you to pray two very courageous, maybe the hardest prayers, if you're paying attention, that we've ever asked you to pray at Crosswinds. You're going to, that's where we're going to land this message is, will you pray this with me? Okay, now I can't pray for you, but will you pray this for me? So that's where we're going to land, and we're going to do a lot of work in the meantime to kind of, kind of get there. We're starting this brand new series called Change of View. Let me open the series by asking this question, and I bet you know the answer. What is the definition of insanity? Someone just shout it out. Yeah, I like this group. You, know, like you guys, I, and, I, and I know why you know this, yeah. Uh, so if you've been in a, in a treatment center, if you've been in a recovery program, that, and, and they are, and um, they'll tell you that that's, that's it. If we could just figure that out, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, it's, that's insane. We've got to do something different. Do you, do you know who said that? Who are they quoting? It's Albert Einstein. Okay, so Albert Einstein gets attributed anything that's really smart that someone said. They, they say Albert Einstein said it because then it gives it more credibility, right? And the fact is that if you go on to online and start reading about this, that that's what's most commonly, but there's an argument about it. Albert Einstein, didn't someone else said it before? And I think Albert would just say, I don't care, <laughs> you know, no big deal. It doesn't matter. I'm smart. You can, we can live with that. So here's the next question. The related question to that is, what would be the definition of spiritual insanity? Just think about it a little bit. You don't have to answer that one out loud, right? Here's, here's kind of what I came up with. It's thinking the same things and expecting spiritual growth. Expecting, thinking that you can just keep thinking what we've been thinking, moving like we've been moving. It's viewing the world the way we view it and that we'll, we'll grow. And the key word there is think. It's, it's really, it's how we think everything's at stake with how we grow and change and become the people God created us to be. How do I know that? And why would I say that? Well, because it's what the Bible says. Paul, in Romans 12, chapter 2, and this is a verse that it's almost like a life verse for me. We keep coming back to it and back to it in my life. It's this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Right? Don't be like everybody else. But let God transform you into a new person. Right? We're becoming the people that God created us to be. That's kind of what we talk. It's, hey, it's not just about getting saved. It's not just about getting forgiven. It's not just about going to heaven, although those things are really wonderful. It's about this life now, becoming the person that God created me to be. I'm here on a mission 
If I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm here for a purpose. God created me on purpose, for a purpose, and that's why I'm here. And I need to become this new person, which is something I think just lasts my whole life. I'm always becoming, right? So don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform change into a new person. And the question is how, and it says by changing the way you think. It's the way you think. Now here's the problem for us. We, we're Western. When we hear the word think, here's what we think. We think it's all about our ability to reason and come to good conclusions. It's about, we think it's about test scores. We think it's about academic achievement, letters after your, your name. And, and really the ability to memorize is so much what gets us through our academic stuff at school, right? But it's all those things together. We think, now that is what thinking is all about. But that is not how the Bible views thinking. It's much, much bigger than that, much, much deeper than that. Sure, it would include our ability to come to good deductions, to deduce, to reason. But it also includes how we process and experience our emotions and how we react to things and the assumptions that we make. It's just very deep. It's almost all of us and what takes place and how we interpret the world. Um, where does it come from? It comes from our parents and our family of origins. It comes from our teachers growing up, our mentors, people we respect. It comes from our culture, our media. It comes from our politics, our ethnicity. It comes from the church we went to. It comes from everything we participate in our world. It starts to form the way we, the way we think. Right? Sometimes you'll hear us talk about uh, the heart. That's it's really close. It encompasses all of that stuff. It's, it's our heart and our minds together is the way that we think. So there's a scientific word that has come up, it's, and I think it captures it about as close as we can get there. The way we think could be referred to as our paradigms. Okay, now for some of you that's a familiar word, for some of you it's not. If you think of the word lens, the lens we look through, interpret the world through, those are paradigms, and we have a lot of them. It's not just one. We have a lot of different paradigms, and they combine together that we look through all of these, and we can't help ourselves as we look through. Every racist person has a racist paradigm that they're looking through, and it's a result of how they grew up and where they were and what they thought, and so, so to change that is very, very difficult. That would be one example. Let me give you another example, more concrete. Um, some of you moved to Rochester from Iowa, right? Some of you did that. And I'm, I'm guaranteed there's always somebody from Iowa we let into the room. And, um, <laughs> and when you came to Minnesota, you came to, you came to Rochester, Minnesota, and you thought, this is unbelievable. Those are, what are, those are trees, you know, and those are hills, and, 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 it's, and, it's, and there's still enough cornfields to make you feel a little bit at home, and you feel, you feel great, right? And, and there's a stream, and there's, some, there's a couple of lakes around here, that kind of thing. And you are in heaven because you live here. I came from Duluth, Minnesota, right, on the shores of the largest freshwater lake in the world. And within spitting distance of thousands of lakes all, all around and trees. And, you know, we never got a clear view. I don't even know if there's any cornfields up there, you know. So then when I transplant myself to Rochester, Minnesota, the Iowans are going, we're in heaven. And I'm thinking something different. Because <laughs> there's not one natural lake in Olmstead County. I went from heaven to Rochester. And, 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 and as far as the lakes, but now I love, I've been here for a long, long, 28 years, so, so I like it. I've decided to stay. It's my home. It is a sense, God, God, God's everywhere, you know, but, but different paradigms. It took me a while to, to get, 
to get used to that. And we, so generations, right? If you've noticed, there's always a tension between generations. If you're a millennial, I'm so sorry. We've treated you horribly. I mean, I'm sincere in this. We've treated millennials. You know, there's a commercial. Have you seen this commercial where the, the older woman has extra time in her hands because she eats McNuggets at McDonald's? And so she's doing all these things in her life, and at one point she's standing before a whole bunch of older people, and she's making a speech, and her speech is this, millennials, am I right? And that's the end of the speech, and it's, it's like, yeah, we all hate them, right? It's kind of the idea, and, and, but there's always been that tension between generations. Where does that come from? It, it comes from they're looking at life through different paradigms. It was so much harder back in my day, and you guys got it so easy. That's the old person crotchety paradigm. You get one when you get old, right? And you millennials, I promise you, when you get old, you're going to look at, I don't know what you'll call them, but there'll be a younger generation, and you won't be nice to them. Because you'll have that paradigm that, well, when we went to school, we actually had to, you know, ride a bus. We didn't have hovercrafts. You know, whatever it is, it's going to come out at that point. So those are paradigms, and, and here's what I'm telling you. Spiritual growth occurs when I allow God to change the way I think. But not just the way I reason, the paradigms in my life, how I view the world, how I view other people, who counts, who doesn't count, all those kinds of things really, really matter. And, and yes, it will affect every level, how we deduce things, the emotions that we have and experience and our reactions to things and the assumptions we make, all of that is on the line with our change of view. All of that, as we ask God to change our view, it, it needs to be surrendered because Romans is clear. This is the way God changes us. Don't copy the behavior. Don't copy the paradigms of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by giving you new paradigms, by changing the way you think. This is one of the reasons why we need to take time to think. And when we read scripture, part of what we're interested in is, God, help us to think differently, but, but not only think, but to feel. Not only to feel, but to deduce and to reason and to see the world the way you would have us see it. And, and so that's what, as we do that, we become more spiritually mature. It's not about how often we read our Bibles or how often we pray. That's being more religious. I'm talking about being more mature in our faith, more mature as, as a person. So people who are spiritually mature, what they've done is they've just had more of their lives transformed, more of their thinking renewed. Right? So spiritually mature people are transformed in their view of everything. Everything. And transformed people will catch themselves um, understanding that they used to think, feel, react, assume differently. Right? They have reference points. You know, I, I used to believe. I used to react. I used to act this way. But, but now I, I don't. I used to think is a very strong... If, if you don't have an I used to think then you should question whether you're growing. Right? If, you don't, if you're not going, hey, I used to think this way, but now I think that way, then tell me where God is moving in your life. And the longer ago that reference point is, the less it seems like God might be doing in your life because I think this is a continued, a continued endeavor. I used to think this way, but, but, now, but now I think differently. Let me give you an example. And this is from my life, and some of you, if you've been around this church long enough, this won't surprise you. But there was a time in my life when I actually thought, uh, I used to think that God would ruin my life. That if I became a follower, diehard, not just a church attender, but a diehard follower of Jesus, all in with Jesus, that God would ruin my life. When I, was, I always thought that. When I was very little, I thought he was going to send me to Africa if I did that. No. 
right? I just, just ruined my life, God. But as I got older, I thought he would ruin it in, in other ways. So how did I come to that kind of conclusion that God would ruin my life? Well, it came from a whole bunch of things that were taking place and messages I was getting about God. Number one, I thought God was just all about the rules. That to follow God meant kept keeping all the rules. And when you broke a rule, then God got very angry. And that was my view of God. He was just a rule-giving, rule-keeping, legalistic endeavor. It was kind of like don't step on the crack because that's how sensitive God is, right? You break your mother's back. Remember that was your kid? But, but if, you step, if you just do one little thing, God's all... And I thought, this is really interesting. He created the world. He created the universe. He created the whole thing, everything beyond our imaginations. And he's worried about me, a little speck of dust, doing one thing wrong. This is what God is preoccupied with. I, I don't want anything to do with that. He's all about the rules. That's what was in my mind. I thought Christians were all hypocrites. And I was right. The only question is whether they're working on it. Right? I'm a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite, but I'm working on it. Right? And so hypocrites, the worst hypocrites are the ones who don't know that they should be working on it. <laughs> um, but rest of us, we just go, hey, I know the standards, but I'm not living the standard. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm forgiven. But I'm, I'm working at becoming the person God made me to be. But that's why I used to think Christians were all hypocrites. I used to think that following Jesus would be boring. You know how I came to that conclusion? I went to church. And church was boring. Church, for me, growing up, was so boring. Right? I, I kind of revel against it. We worked very hard here to go, okay, if anything else, let's not, let's not sin by boring everybody today, if we can help it. Right? Um, so when we went to church, my brothers and I, we had, like you do, programs, right? But Fortunately, there was white space, and <laughs> we would take our pens, and I think I've shared this before, we would start, once he started preaching, we would make dots, like a grid, right, and then I would draw a line, hand it to my brother, he would draw a line, we'd go back and forth, and whenever a box was completed, you got to put your initial in it. At the end of the day, the person with the mo most initials won church, right? I mean, hey, how was church today? It was great, I won church today, you know, because didn't hear messages, because we were... Now, I'm sure it wasn't as boring as I thought it was, but it was boring. All right, so another conclusion. It would negatively, if I went all in with Jesus, it would negatively impact my social status. And I promise you with the people I was hanging out with, it, it would have. Because none of them were following Jesus. None of them had time for anything, any God stuff in their, in, in their lives. And I thought God was against everything I was for. And that might have been where we were. Right? And finally... I thought God was the antidote to fun. That if you were having a good time and you wanted to ruin it, invite God into it. That would be, that would take care of it. You wouldn't have any more fun after God was brought in. So if you believe those things, would, would you follow Jesus? If you believe those six things? Those were the six things I believed. So I just thought, let's sum it up. God will ruin my life. I'll just keep him at a distance. I don't want God involved in this because I love my life. I want to protect my life. Now, I have to tell you the secret that it took me a long time to realize and admit. It took kind of a little crisis for me to go, this is the truth. What I was protecting wasn't all that great. My life, right? My life wasn't all that swell without God. And when I came to understand that truth and admit that truth to myself, I can remember laying in my bed going, you know... This is hard, and I didn't hear an audible voice, but over time, God, the message I got from God was, so what are you so busy protecting, Doug? You're afraid I'm going to ruin your life. How well is it going? How, how much are you enjoying? Don't you feel your life draining away from you? Don't you feel 
after you go and do the things you're doing and devoted to the things you're devoted to, don't you feel like less instead of more? Don't you feel your heart being emptier instead of full? Don't you feel like you're missing something? And all those things were absolutely true. And it wasn't until I owned that negative truth in my life that I could turn to him. Now, how did that happen? Well, my view changed when I met some normal, healthy, fun people who showed me how wrong I was. They were devoted to Christ and they were normal. Right? They didn't sing hymns all day long. Right? They didn't quote scripture at every single time. They didn't say PTL over and over and over again. It stands for praise the Lord, you young people. And, um, <laughs> right? And, and, and they were normal. And I wanted to be, desperately I wanted to be normal. That's what every high school kid wants to be. Right? But I found out that as I watched them, I thought, there's something about them that I don't have. They're not doing the kinds of things I'm doing, chasing the things I'm chasing. And they seem like they're full and, and wholesome and winsome and joyful. And I started to look into that. What is that? And it came to a point where I turned my own life over to God because I said, I think I've got you all wrong. Right? Part of that was discovering some verses like John 10.10 when Jesus says my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I never heard that said out loud before going to church. I thought his purpose was to make us follow all the rules. He goes, no, my purpose is to fill you up. My purpose is to give you a satisfying life. Come on, don't you want to be a part of that? If he would have, yeah, of course I want to be a part of that. I don't want to miss out on that. Right? That, that is so good to know, Jesus, that that's what you want is to give me a rich and satisfying life. And then Psalm 1, 1 through 3, I can remember when I read this, and it says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. Can I just tell you something? Those were all my friends. The sinners, right? And the wicked and the mockers. I was part, mostly the mocker group, right? But that was, that was part of the groups that we kind of hung out with, a bunch of smart aleck kids, right? Up to no good. And we were up to lots of no good, right? We said, but so... Oh, the joys of those who do not follow those, those people, but they delight instead in the law of the Lord or the ways of the Lord, meditating on it, absorbing it day and night. Exactly. And it's like paradigm shift for me. Whoa. And then it goes on and it says, they are like trees planted along the riverbank. Have you ever been to Nebraska? You drive along the, the, the road and you look out and there's Nothing. The only place worse than Iowa, Nebraska, some of you are never going to come back to church again, is Nebraska. There's, there's not a tree anywhere. Except when you look out, all of a sudden you see there's this big trees, a row of, there's forest going, and they go through everything. And in the middle of that, you'll find water. Why? Because that's where trees grow. And they suck up the moisture, and it's, it's, in this, it's supposed to be like close to God. He's, our, he's the water. He's the one who helps us to grow up. So they're like trees planted by the riverbank. They bear their fruit in every season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they, they do. That's what the promises to those who say, hey, I'm all in with you, God. I'm all in. I'll, I want to become the person you made me to be. I want to do the things you made me to do. I'm not just worrying about heaven, although that sounds awesome. I'm, I want to be, I, what I said was, hey, I want to have leaves that don't wither. I don't want to wither. I want to, I want to prosper. Right? So it was a, this huge change of view for me. And it has implications to how I live the rest of my life. Now, all of that to get to this. When you read through the Bible, the Gospels, about Jesus, you're going to find out that everything Jesus did and taught was taught to give people a change of view. It was taught to say, 
hey, you used to think this, but I'm telling you this. Right? And Matthew chapter 6, if you go read it, it's a whole series of, hey, you've heard it said, and underneath that would be, and you think this way, but I tell you this. And you should think this way instead. And over and over again, if you want to read the Bible in an interesting way, when you read through the gospel, in fact, when you read through the entire Bible, you can, you can come to it and say, what is the shift of thinking God wants us to experience from what we're reading? What is, how am I supposed to view the world differently? Because the ultimate purpose of the Bible, I would argue, is to give people a change of view. Starting with how we view God. That was my problem, how I viewed God. I thought he would ruin my life. He didn't. Because how we see, how we see, how we think, determines how we'll live and whom and how we'll love. Right? Remember that racist person I talked to? What do you think God wants to show them? What's the truth of the matter? Who counts? And when you read through, Jesus keeps on saying, hey, this person counts, this person counts. You, you want to push them in the outskirts of because they got leprosy. No, no, everybody counts to God, and we have to love them. You know, and who are we going to push out? How, so everything rides on this. How we see determines how we're going to live and how we'll love and how we'll worship. It determines ev everything. Okay, now we're ready to get to the text that we're going to be dealing with for about the next five, six weeks together, right? And it's Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12, and it's lesson one. Here's why I'm calling it lesson one, because when you go read the book of Matthew, you'll find out that he starts with the genealogy, he starts with the birth of Christ, right? And, and then um, we, we move into the temptation of Christ. I think it's chapter 3 of, of Matthew, where Jesus goes out into the desert and the t devil tempts him. You read about that. And then chapter 4 is the calling of the disciples. This is kind of big brush strokes I'm giving you. And then chapter 5 is the first time Matthew records what Jesus taught. Right? So this is lesson 1. And these first 12 verses, I think, are the foundation of discipleship, of, of following. Right? And it, but it comes out kind of a little bit different than maybe we're used to. Let's, so let's read it together. And I know you memorized it, some of you, differently than what you're going to hear today. We're using New Living Translation, so bear with me, and we can talk about and argue about translations later. So here's what it says. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up the mountainside and sat down. Okay, so you need to know, Jesus, when, when Matthew's recording this, he's already done a bunch of healing things. He's developing crowds, and now they're following him. Where's Jesus? Well, who wouldn't? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? They find him. Um, they're gathering, and Jesus goes up the mountainside, and they're going to follow, right? His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. And what I picture in my mind is the disciples were right with him. They went down, they sat with him, and then the crowds come up and gather around, and then the, that sets the arena, the stage for, for teaching along the hillside. And here's what Jesus said. He said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who are hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. For the kingdom of heavens, heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you 
and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about that. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. In other words, it's always been this way. It's always been this way. Now, until recently, in fact, even today, when I read that and I'm just going through Bible reading, I hardly ever stop on blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the verses. You know what I'm talking about. Um, and here's why. I, I just want to get through it and move on. Because it's poetry. And I'm going to offend some of you. I don't like poetry. Some of you are really into it. Good for you. If you have a poetry jam, enjoy it. Do not invite me. Okay? Because you'll just be, I'm not coming. All right? Because, because unless it's to music, I'm not a poet. Right? And, and so, and I'm not saying it's not good and not meaningful. In fact, a lot of scripture is poetry, so I got to get used to it. But, but it's so poetic and it's so simple and it's not, it, it goes by so fast that I just go, okay, let's get to the real stuff. And I keep on turning pages. But we're not going to do that. This, is, this section is called the Beatitudes. And, and we're going to, this whole series is going to delve into trying to suck the marrow out of the Beatitudes. Trying to learn as much as we can from them. We're going to take them very slowly and we're going to chew on them. And we're going to bring other scripture to play about what Jesus is talking about. But every single one of the Beatitudes starts with the word blessed. By the way, when you hear the Beatitudes, always think of all the things that Jesus taught. When you hear the word Beatitude, do not think only of what Jesus taught. Because in the Old Testament, there's other Beatitudes. They're just not all together like that. Anytime it says blessed are the, and it finishes, that would be called a Beatitude. It's who's getting blessed. And so there's statements like that throughout scripture. The Beatitudes are this block of teaching that Jesus did recorded in, in Matthew 5. So when I hear the word blesses, um, I know something's going on there that sounds spiritual, but it's hard to put, like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be blessed? And here's the problem. If you go look it up, it'll say in a Bible dictionary, to be blessed means to be made happy. Okay, so something in my heart just goes, that's not it. I mean, it is it, technically, legally. It's, okay, that's what the word means, but that's not how we use it. It's so much, we know that, right? It's not, it's not a blessing to be made happy for a day. It's, there's something richer and deeper and God-connected to the word bless. We don't use it casually that way. And I started thinking, okay, so what does it mean to me? And this, you won't find in the Bible dictionary, but when I think of the word bless, and I think this gets at the bigger meaning, deeper meaning of it, I think it means when you're blessed by God, that God honors you, he fills you, he gives you joy, which is much different than happiness. We're not going there today, but it is different. And he, this is a verb, he parents you. He parents you. These are the people, Jesus is saying, you know, these are the people who God is going to honor, who God's going to fill, who, who, who God is going to give a deep sense of joy to, and he's going to invest in as a parent. Right? You call me father. These are the people who got fathers. Right? And so we're going to start with the very first one, verse 3. Here's what Jesus said. He said, God blesses those who are poor. Who are poor. Some of your translations, some of you, it would have been poor in spirit. But the key word here is who are poor. Right? Now, I, I don't know your emotional reaction to that. Mine is, oh, that's not such good news. Really? God blesses... In fact, if I go back to the old translations, blessed are those who are poor, I'm going, wait a minute. That's just not true. I have objections to that. Right? I've never, 
I've never sought poverty in my life. I do things in my life to avoid poverty. I do things in my life to avoid being poor. I want to be the opposite of poor. I want to be wealthy. I want to be secure in all those things. So I have several objections. Let me give you objection number one is if God blesses those who are poor, it sure doesn't look that way. Does it? When you look at the world, I mean, if this was your second home, wouldn't that be a blessing? Right? That's how, by the way, isn't that ironic? That's how we talk about our stuff. When you own something nice, if you go out and buy a new car and some Christian comes and says, wow, nice new car, and you have just this little wave of, ooh, guilt, you'll say, oh, yeah, it's such a blessing because you want to blame it on God. Right? That's such a blessing to have this house. To have this, it's such a blessing. And it is a blessing. It's, you get, you get, it's a beautiful home. By the way, if you're really wealthy, you can eat whatever you want. You don't have to think about how much it costs. You don't have to get out your Dave Ramsey envelope, you know, and, hey, do I have enough to go? Where can we eat tonight? Oh, it looks like McDonald's again, right? I mean, it's, you could eat. Not that you should eat that stuff every day, but, you, hey, if you're wealthy enough, you, you can. If you're wealthy enough, your vacations take a shift, right? Completely different kinds of vacations. By the way, how many of you think that's a man? Raise your hand if you think it's a man. How many think it's a woman? Raise your hand. Okay, I said it was a woman last night. My wife argued with me. So it's a person uh, up there. <laughs> All right? But he owns a yacht. But, come on. They live, the wealthy live a completely different life than the poor. Come, close your eyes. Okay, just decide in your own mind between you and God, no one else knows. Would you rather be wealthy or would you rather be poor? Every, someone said poor. I don't believe you. You're such a liar. All right, objection number two. This is going to be a truth-telling day. Objection number two. It doesn't feel that way. It does not feel that way. If you've ever sat, if you're married and you got bills, and you've ever sat down to do the bills. Now we're going to have a crosswinds moment. If you're married and you've done the bills together, right, you're paying the bills, how many of you have had a fight in your marriage over paying those bills? Raise your hand up. This is to tell the truth. Right. Come on, you liars. Anyway. <laughs> if, because if... If you're not, you know what rich people do with their bills? They give it to some, their assistant to pay them. They don't, they don't pay them themselves. They, it's all automatic. It's all taken care of. They don't even check their, check their balances. They just go, yay, the bills are paid. What do we want now? Right? And move on to the next thing. Objection number three, no one believes this. No one believes it's a blessing to be poor. They, they might believe, hey, you know, when I, when I was poor, I had some blessings. I learned a lot of things. But they don't, no one who's poor goes, yeah, I'm really glad I'm poor. It was the best ever. I, I had money yesterday, but I gave it away because I was afraid I was not going to be poor anymore. <laughs> no one does that, right? Here's how I know no one believes this, right? It's because of this. Okay, now let's see how honest you are, right? How many of you have bought a ticket for the lottery in your life? In your life, raise your hands. Okay, now, did you want to win did you fantasize about how you'd spend the money and what you'd do with it? Did you say this to God? God, if you blessed me this way, I would honor you with it. I would give it to the poor. I would, oh, you should trust me. It's not really about me, God. It's really about what I could do for you out in the... <laughs> All my point is this. No one believes it. No one, because if you believe it was a blessing to be poor, you wouldn't try to win the lottery. You wouldn't try to be rich. Right? And, then, and this is... I mean, this is just the truth of how we live life. If there was a Bible translation of everyone ever, it would say this, God bless those who are rich for all the earth is theirs. 
The Bible says heaven belongs to the poor. They can have it. We want the earth. And we can buy all things, things that are tangible, things that we can see, things we can taste, things, clothing we can wear. Being, being rich sounds great. We don't want to be filthy rich. I mean, I know we don't have to have millions and millions, right? We don't want to be, not, most of us would say that. We don't want to be filthy rich. We just want to be soiled and stained with wealth. <laughs> we want to be so, so stained with wealth that it won't come out no matter what kind of bleach you use, right? <laughs> That's what we want. We don't want people to look and go, oh, that person is so filthy rich. No, that person is just so well off. You know, they've really managed their lives well. And that's what, that's what we want. Why do we want that? Because we know what it means. We know that earthly wealth means comfort and security. It means this thing we call quality of life. It means influence. It means admiration and fun. Those are some of the benefits to people who are wealthy. So, but Jesus comes along and he says, hey, here's lesson number, lesson number one of the first lesson. You want to be my follower. I need you to buy into something that's very complicated, very difficult. God blesses those who are poor. Now, it's not just because they're poor. It goes farther. And he says, and realize their need for him. The, the benefit of poverty, all poverty, is when it shows us our need for God. That's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying it's great to be poor. He's saying it's worth it to recognize your need. Right? So the, the greatest danger of a desire for wealth, of getting locked in on wealth, is it obscures our view. If we're focused on wealth, we think that wealth is the answer. It obscures our view for everything. And Jesus goes, no, blessed are you when you're poor because if you realize your need for God. Right? It's in my poverty, lots of different kinds of poverty, that I see my need for God. It's, this is not just a money thing. It's but when I'm experiencing deprivation, it makes me look to the one who can provide. Right? So remember, remember in the beginning, I, near the beginning, I told you about my life, my, my conviction that God would ruin my life, but that I was protecting my life, and I said, hey, my life wasn't all that swell without God. What was I protecting? It wasn't even worth protecting. It was getting emptier and emptier and drained and drained, living far and without without God. What I was telling you was when I owned that, I realized my poverty, my poverty was my life. But I was very protective of my poverty. Right? I just wasn't very smart. So I'm protecting this draining, emptying thing that's not filling up. And that's when I found my need for God. For my entire life. That was a turning point for me when I turned to God and said, okay, it appears that when I'm in control of my life, I'm draining it and emptying it and screwing it up. I don't want to live in that insanity. I want to do something, think something different. So God, I need you. God, I need you. I realize my need for him. And by the way, God says, now the kingdom of heaven is yours. But it's not just that kind of poverty, your life poverty. It's, it's everything. So this last weekend, I didn't come to church on Easter. First Easter I've missed because Saturday, between Saturday night's message and Sunday morning's message, I got sick with the wishing for death stomach flu, right? It's a kind of poverty. It was so bad, I won't tell you about it. It was, it was, it was it, but let me just say this. I was flowing in the honor of God in every way that you can imagine, right? All right, so this is, and we're talking about seven rounds of it ending with bile, a bile offering to God, right? So, 
Can I tell you, I've never prayed. I haven't had a night of prayer like that for a long time. Why is that? Because my health was awful. I remember, I thought this. God, if the rest of my life was going to be this sick, take me now. <laughs> you know, I was that sick. It's like, take me now. Is it such high? And you've been there before. It's so high. If, if you're not going to get better, oh, I can't live like this kind of moment. I feel horrible for people with really severe chronic illness. How you think things like that. How can you not? But your poverty makes you realize your need for God. It's why when we're any kind of poverty, we, we reach up. We go, God, where are you? We need you. I, I'm seeking you. Let me tell you a place where it might surprise you that I felt poverty. It's in my parenting. I don't think anything in my life has made me so humble, so needy as the job of being a dad. Right? How many times, it's not that I screwed up everything, but I screwed up often enough. How many times did I find myself saying, okay, I just disciplined out of anger? Why, that makes me mad. Um, <laughs> it makes me frustrated with myself. Or, I can't believe I just said that to my kid. Or I said something and they took it the wrong way. Um, oh. And when your kids start making choices that aren't the ones you want them to make and aren't honoring to God, and you have to go, and they will, by the way, because they're, they all have sinful natures, and that's not your fault, parents. That's, they were born that way. That's what I'm going with. And, uh, but there's nothing to make you go, this is why, if you're a parent, I promise you, you'll pray for your kids. You, because you'll realize your poverty. You realize you, you weren't the, it wasn't as easy, there's no manual, you're desperate, you want your kids, and you're, you can't control it. And whenever you can't control that's a poverty of control. God, you're the one who can help. Right? My poverty is all of my challenges, all of my deficiencies, and all of my inabilities. And God says, yes. Now, whenever you experience those, Doug, realize your need for me. Realize your need for me. Let it change your view. Embrace what I have to offer. Seek it. Get hungry for it. Pursue it. Don't become complacent in your, in your journey. You need to think differently about things in your thinking. You need to see differently than you're seeing. You need to feel differently than you're feeling. You need to learn some, some wisdom. The power of poverty is it reveals neediness. It always reveals neediness. So when you're feeling, don't, you don't have to give thanks for poverty. But don't waste it. Find out, okay, God, what does this mean? What is it, how do I need you in a way that I haven't needed you before? Because God blesses those who are poor and who realize their need for him. And then what do they get? They get the kingdom of God is theirs. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. What I think that means is, is not just that, oh, you know, you'll go to heaven someday. I think it means the kingdom of God is going to invest in you. God's going to parent you, invest in you, honor you give you joy, lift you up, use that poverty for something really, really good in your life. But you got to embrace it. you got to embrace the need of what it, what it means. So we're almost done. Here's the question, two questions. First one is this. Do you know your poverty right now? You don't have to share it with anybody else. Can you name your poverty right now? second one is this. What's it showing you? It's showing you a need for something. What is it? 
Maybe a better question, who is it? Where's the source going to come from ultimately? Spiritual growth occurs when I allow God to change the way I think. That's what we're going to be wrestling with, with with this whole series. Now, I promised I promised you that we were going to end with a courageous prayer. So here are the courageous prayers. Let me pause for a moment. I close almost all of our services with a prayer. I pray. I just want to be really clear about this. I cannot pray on your behalf. I can't put words in your mouth. So normally I'll pray often, first person singular. God, I, I'll just pray for myself. Your role is to say, God, I pray that too. Right? God, I pray that too. Or God, I'm not praying that. Are you crazy? No, I'm not praying what Doug just prayed. Not me. That's fine. That's between you and God. That's your choice every single week with whatever, with whatever we're praying. Here's the prayers I'm going to pray today, and, and, they, and I think they're very courageous. God, give me a new view. I don't want to be the same. I want to grow. I want to become the person you made me to be. Give me a new view. And the reason it's risky is because, is because how he does it may not be comfortable. Right? We don't change easily. So God, give me a new new view. I want to have, I used to thinks, but now I thinks. <laughs> okay? And then, this part might even be harder. And God, use poverty if you must. Use poverty if you must. <laughs> it's just... It's kind of like saying, break me. Can I just tell you, I don't want to pray the second part of that prayer. I don't want to. I don't like being poor in any way, shape, or form. But I'm going to pray this prayer. Now, the decision you have to make is, do you want to pray it too? So I'm going to invite, if, whether you're praying or not, just lower your head for a moment and let's, um, those who want to pray, join me in this. God, I'm not a big fan of this message in some ways. It, it, uh, it scares me. But I want you to change my view. Because when I see differently, I love differently, I live differently. And I don't want to be the same guy. I don't want my faith to get old or stale complacent. I want it to be alive and rich and, and changing. And God, I'm going to I'm going to allow you, I don't, I don't think I can say invite, but I'm going to allow you if you need to to use poverty in my life. And I would ask you to be uh, be gentle with that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Don't miss next week. We'll see you then. All right.